Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hi there, witches and weirdos, and welcome to another episode of The Real Magic Podcast, the podcast where we take on pop culture in the witchiest way possible. And what pop culture is witchier right now and bigger in the culture than WandaVision, starring the biggest witch in the comic books, Scarlet Witch, aka Wanda Maximoff. Now, if you haven't heard of WandaVision, you've probably been living under a rock, but I'll give you a quick summary The show follows Wanda Maximoff as she hopscotches through television history in a way of unpacking her grief over the loss of Vision, who is a synthesoid android sort of guy who was her true love and died in the last Avengers movie. Sorry, spoilers for Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame. But WandaVision is a really brilliant show. Everyone I know got really into it and loved it, and I loved it because of its witchiness, and I've written about it a lot, and I'm so excited to talk about it with today's guest. And that guest is Courtney Weber. Now, Courtney Weber is a witch, an author, a tarot advisor, and an activist. She's the author of Bridget, History, Mystery, and Magic of the Celtic Goddess, of Tarot for One, The Art of Reading for Yourself, as well as The Morrigan, Celtic Goddess of Magic and Might, and the forthcoming Hecate, Goddess of Witches. She's also the co-host of That Witch Life podcast. She's been featured in Maxim, Playboy, Huffington Post, Vice, and The Tom Hartman Show. You can visit her online at CourtneyWeber.com. But right now you can listen to her here talking about WandaVision. So excited for you guys to listen to this episode and this conversation. So let's get on with it. Wanda, Hmm. is there something special about today? Well, I know the apron is a bit much, dear, but I am doing my best to blend in. No, no, there on the calendar, someone's drawn a little hard right above today's date. Oh, yes, the heart. Hmm. Well, don't tell me you have forgotten, Viz. Forgotten? I wonder, I'm incapable of forgetfulness. I remember everything. That's not an exaggeration. In fact, I'm incapable of exaggeration. Well, then tell me what's so important about today's date. What was the question again? <laughs> oh, well, perhaps you forgot me yourself. Yeah, you haven't, no. I've been so looking forward to it. So welcome, Courtney Weber, one of my favorite witches, to Real Magic. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jess. This is super exciting. I love your show and I love your work. Oh, thank you so much. That's so flattering. I love your show and I love your work. It's just a love Yay! So I like to ask um, guests, because... I learned from the best that icebreaker is always a good way to start a podcast that what was your favorite witches growing up or the movie that made you believe in magic growing up? Oh, um, I think bed knobs and broomsticks. Oh, that's a good one. Absolutely. So Angela Lansbury, I, I appreciated that Angela Lansbury, um's character and I haven't seen the movie in years. So I'm forgetting some of the, um, 
I, I think my favorite scene in, in bed knobs and broomsticks, besides when they would actually make the bed knob turn, was that Angela Lansbury was still figuring out how to be a witch and how she was like trying to get on her broom and was kind of trying to ride its side saddle. And she couldn't quite figure out how to do it. And it was, it was, it was a challenge for her to how to make magic happen. And she was taking a correspondence course, which must have seemed really silly at the time. But now so many witches are learning through the modern equivalent of a correspondence course, like through online schools and things. And um, that I appreciate that she was just trying to learn a skill and she had some natural ability, but she needs someone to help her along, which um, I think when we first see witches in Hollywood, it's a sense that they're a different kind of creature. They're not really human. And they have like some kind of, you know, extraordinary power within them that can do all kinds of wild stuff. Whereas Angela Lansbury's character in that movie, I think embodies the reality of witchcraft is that, yeah, you've got something and what do you do with it? And there are techniques and there are things that you, you need to do in order to increase that power and increase that potential. Um, and so then it was when my sister and I were kids, she had a four post bed and one of the knobs came off. (gasps) And so we spent a lot of time putting that knob back on and trying to make it work and trying to, you know, envision that her, her bed was flying around the different, uh, you know, parallel universes and on the bottom of the sea and stuff like that. Now I want to go watch the movie again, cause it's been so long and I was clearly missing some of the political stuff, like with the Nazis and things that my, my podcast co-host Kanani, when I made her watch it and give a review, um, that she was picking up on things that an adult with a little more knowledge of world events from history was paying attention to that I, when I was six or seven, was like, no idea what's going on. Uh, I, I sympathize with trying to make your bed work because I spent so much time as a kid, like trying to walk into Narnia through my 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 wardrobe or my yeah. closet. I'm like, eventually, if I just, maybe if I turn around and go back in, I'll find my way to Narnia. Um, has not worked yet, but I don't spend much time there's in the closet time, anymore. Jess, there's time. Yeah. I think I, I think part of the thing I gave myself pardon on as a kid when I couldn't walk through my wardrobe or I couldn't make my bed fly is I'm like, well, I don't have a British accent. Yeah. Cause it seemed like in order for you to be magical, you had to either be in England or have, you know, a British English accent, which, cause all of these movies from back then came out of England for some reason. Yeah. Much more magical, I guess, in England. It's all these colonists were very... Very anti-witchcraft with all that Salem witches. Though I think England as was way more had way more witch trials than America ever did. Uh, Germany, I remember. I don't know if if, if um, Germany, Germany had was more the than worst, England, but yeah. I think Germany was yeah the height of the quote-unquote burning times was all Germany. We're like well, no surprise there. Yep, they had all they had all sorts of awful stuff going on. But yes. we're talking about another persecuted witch today. Um, who's, you know, probably could take on, she took on Thanos. She could probably take on some Nazis if they show up. It's Scarlet Witch from WandaVision. So you've been talking about this on your podcast, That Witch Life. And I am delighted listening to you guys talk about this because I, my job is I write about movies and pop culture. And so I'm like so deep in the fan theories and the Marvel Cinematic Universe that listening to you guys talk about it, because you aren't like huge Marvel fans, talk about it from that perspective is so fun for me. Cause I'm like, Oh, I wonder how it does come off to somebody who hasn't maybe seen every single Marvel movie 18 times the way most of me and everyone else I work with has. 
Right. You know, it's so funny because <laughs> um, I was because we we miss so much and there's so much of the nuance that we're not getting because we're not well versed in the Marvel universe. But as my co-host said, she's like, look, I'm not even going to try. There's too much to try to keep up with. I'm not even going to bother to catch up with Marvel. And I know my husband has when he listens to the podcast on the way to work, he's like, no, you're totally getting it wrong because usually we put on a Marvel movie and, um, we, you know, I fall asleep halfway through and I wake up and there's a CGI scene or something like that. But, um, you know, it's funny. I got, I, um, been interested in the Scarlet Witch because believe it or not, a Christian pastor who is also a big Marvel geek. And he runs one of the programs that I support through my day job. And he has given all of his colleagues in that program, different Marvel superhero character names. And he called me a Scarlet Witch. And, um, I was like, oh, fun. And then when I heard there was a show that was based on her, I was like, oh, this will be neat. And I also heard it, you know, my co-host was like, it's like a spinoff of Bewitched. And I said, oh, this will be fun. And so we start watching it and my husband caught me and he's like, this doesn't seem like a show you'd be into. I said, it's a spinoff of Bewitched, honey. He's <laughs> like, yeah, sure, honey, that's fine. And I watched it and I'm like, there's something else going on here and I don't know what it is, but I love that. I love when we watch. Um, that's one of the reasons why I'm such a fan of black mirror is you go in thinking that the, the show is one thing and you realize just through very subtle hints that something else is going on and it's going to unravel and we're going to see a whole lot. And I saw some, um, some think pieces or some tweets that were talking about how this was a story about grief, which is something that um, I've actually done a lot of writing about myself, hasn't yet made it to the surface, but I'm working on it about um, the worlds that get created when we're grieving. And so I started watching it with that in mind, knowing almost nothing about the Scarlet Witch, except for the fact that she could create her own reality. And um, then I heard that it was somehow it was connected to grief. And it's like, I've, I can, I can see where this is going. I can see that this is going someplace that I'm going to understand if not fully relate to. Um, and so I just followed along and, you know, really appreciated that, um, you know, the, the way that they started bringing in the outside world, the sword group that was starting to, to track her and try to communicate with her and trying to figure out who the real villain is before yeah. Agatha revealed herself. And I still have mixed feelings about that choice with Agatha. Yeah. I, w- I, I loved her song. It's still stuck yes. in my head. It was Agatha all along. Um, but I, you know, I would have wanted, I wish they just, you know, had coffee instead of flying around in the air throwing fireballs at each other and just talk, you know, cause Agatha in the penultimate episode is really guiding Wanda through her trauma and she's, she's a pretty good therapist. And then, right. then they have to fight because it's a, Mar- it's a Marvel gun, a Marvel. And, but still, I wish they had had more of those quiet moments between them. Cause they see, they could have been buds. They, I mean, they probably could have been unstoppable together. It's probably better for the universe if they didn't <laughs> go down that road. Right. But I really wish that there had been, you know, less, vilification of the witchiness yeah and i think i i I read somewhere or i heard somewhere that and i'm totally upsetting all of your marvel fan listeners and i'm so sorry everybody it's just (laughs) way too much for me to catch up with so just i'm just going to come in and be like ah um so agatha i guess was supposed to be her mentor yeah and when that was one thing i had a discussion about this on our show with my co-host and that um you know, that, that the mentor getting demonized was something that, oh, well, I've seen this happen a lot. 
right? And so especially if Wanda's creating her own universe, that suddenly the teacher, you know, she, especially with something like witchcraft, when you do have to look at a lot of uncomfortable parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and if you do have a mentor in witchcraft, if you're lucky enough to have a mentor in witchcraft, they're going to be in that with you sometimes. And it's really tempting to turn and blame the discomfort on the person who's walking you through that. I mean, we even saw that in Sopranos when Tony Soprano went and attacked his therapist. Yeah. People right? make their therapist the bad guy all the time because it's they, get, yes. they need something to get mad at. In the comics, um, and I don't, I, I know the comics through like research and osmosis. I don't read the comics because I don't like the way they depict women in the comics actually because Scarlet Witch is usually in like this like bustier and like, I, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, but Agatha's like an old woman. She's, mm-hmm. she is, does have that Salem witch trial backstory, but she's like Wanda's mentor. And then I think tries to like make Wanda be evil or use her powers for evil. And then she eventually, she dies. And so she shows up a lot in the comics as a ghost. Interesting. And so that's like where they come from in the comics and Agatha's sort of more of a mentory figure, but she's sort of aligned with a character. I think who is literally the actual is called Mephisto is like the actual devil. Right. <laughs> I'm really glad they didn't bring that in though. I did like what they brought in with chaos magic, which I thought was really interesting because I found out doing some research that like chaos magic really is a branch of occult and esoteric practice. Yes. That I don't, Necessary. I'm not as much an occultist as I am a witch. And so that whole area is really fascinating to me, but like digging into what chaos magic was in contrast to ceremonial magic and how that influenced the comics is really interesting. So what is your impression of like Wanda's magic and chaos magic? Because we can't really have like a discussion here. Well, her like saying, oh, is this an accurate portrayal of witchcraft? Unfortunately, no, we cannot fly yet. But there's a lot of influences here from history. So let's talk about chaos magic. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert in it from what I understand. It's that it there, I think it makes sense because there's a sense in which you can, you can construct the universe or construct a reality for yourself. And I think that the, probably the most watered down trope I have about chaos magic is that anything can be God if you put power into it. So there's a kind of a joke within chaos magic, or maybe even more seriously than that, that a statue of Mickey Mouse can suddenly become a god because you have imbued it with that kind of power, which honestly, I feel like that theory holds true in religions or, you know, healing places that have been around for thousands of years because the power of human belief is, is so very strong. And one of my teachers believes that the reason certain wells are considered healing wells is because for thousands of years, people have gone there with the belief that these, these are places that are powerful and can heal. And so therefore now they are imbued with healing magic because of the belief and so that they become they become places to heal and so i think that that's if anything i think that's where her her you know the, the chaos magic thing can come from is that she has then um decided that her world is the world of the television shows that she grew she grew up with because the real reality that she had around her was far too scary between the poverty and um the assault on her you know having to hide from from a bomb for two days and you know the death of her parents and then later the death of her brother basically the death of everyone she loved so it's just much easier to escape or preferable for her to, to escape into that kind of reality i mean 
no witchcraft you're going to see in pop culture is truly going to be reality because honestly it would be too boring. Exactly. You know, because magic, magic manifests in such subtle ways, sometimes it's a little less subtle, but it's not going to happen immediately. It may be like, you know, three weeks later, something manifests that you were working on in a spell and it comes to you in a very intense way, but that's not going to play well on camera, which I think is why everybody, time I've been interviewed for a reality show, they either decide not to pick me or they decide not to do a reality show about witches because it's just too much of like, yeah, I like this candle. So when will something happen? I don't know, maybe a month or two from now. Yeah. You know, like it's just like making a reality show about people going to church on Sundays. It's really is. Yeah. Or like yeah, I, or I, I, a reality show about meditation, which would be probably the a very uh, soothing yeah, and maybe I, boring I think, reality uh, show. I think that one of the um the best portrayals I've ever seen of faith changing someone in the moment was in the Betty Page story. Did you mm. see that? The one with Gretchen Mall? Yes. Yeah, I very I, I've seen it, the Notorious Betty Page. Like I saw it a Notorious long time Betty ago. Page, yeah. So, so you know, it's the scene at the end of the movie mm-hmm. where she goes into a church, and we've been with her for a while and know that she has essentially lost faith in the world that she was living in. Um, the the adult you know the the adult entertainment industry at that time was not really working out for her. And she was just, she was kind of lost. You could see that she didn't really have a place and she felt called to go to this church and she went to the altar and she was praying. And that's when the preacher stood over her and she just opened her eyes and said, it just felt like a lifting up. And we didn't need to see like the Holy spirit come down and engulf her to accept that this particular character was having a moving experience because she put her faith in something and she received what she needed in that moment. And to her, that was very powerful. And so I felt like that was, it was a beautiful way. And it's often how I think these kind of moments happen for people. And then, you know, she, she went about her life in a different way. And and I appreciate the message that that movie was not that the adult industry was bad. It was just that she, her path was taking her in a different direction and she wasn't ashamed of where she'd come from. She's like, I'm just not doing that anymore. I'm going to go do this other thing for a while because I had this experience that was very comforting to me at a time when I needed it. But that usually doesn't play very well on screen. Yeah, we need to really. see like a meltdown and we need to see like a flash. And I feel like that that's the one movie where what is likely the most accurate portrayal of somebody having a very powerful spiritual moment came true in a way that the audience could be in there with them without being lectured to or being preached at. Yeah. Making an interior journey dramatized, dramatized. Um, I write about this for a living and I can't pronounce these words. You know what? I, I read and write a lot and I don't say a lot of words aloud, which is why like when you listen to my podcast, I'm always mispronouncing things. It's just a thing. It's fine. But like putting that interior journey exterior and making it dramatic is really hard. And like, that's the work of art, but to be an interesting piece of art, it has to be more, it has to be over the top. You know, that's why I love like musicals and opera because we don't sing usually day to day, but making something into music is the way to show that emotion way to show that deep journey. And I think with WandaVision, they do that where we're basically going on the journey of her trauma, the journey of her grief. It's almost like this is her shadow work that we're going through. And they're doing it through the vehicle of comfort TV and sitcoms. And it's a really brilliant concept, the way they went through grief this way. Yeah. And it also, 
there's that that's it's so late it's so layered it's like baklava there's just these beautiful layers of crisp wonderfulness you just keep peeling through yeah i know right um i can't eat baklava anymore in standard way but you know it's it's just it's but um she it it we start looking at the television from the past and realize how ridiculous a lot of it was and how it may have misled a lot of us into thinking what a reality should be. I mean, I'm a kid of the eighties. I grew up on full house and watching their spoof of full house in this was like, God, I always expected my parents to sit down and talk me through whatever I was experiencing when the reality is nobody did that because my parents were still trying. They didn't have writers to help them break down their inner you know, process around whatever was happening with our family in the moment. They were also thinking about like getting us fed and getting our school supplies and getting us to whatever event we had. And they were like, I don't know, you know? (laughs) And so that's like, you know, so I I feel that sometimes um, that's one of the ways these shows, while they offer us some great escape, they don't do us a lot of, they give us a lot of disservice about not, about what that's expected. And I feel like TV tried to do the opposite and the um the 90s and the 2000s when they did the spoof of Malcolm in the Middle and they did a spoof of Modern Family but then we're also getting a sense of how ridiculous that was and that not everything is zany and not everything is super funny and that you know looking breaking the fourth wall of the television is completely not is completely unnerving sometimes yeah I think that it was interesting because as they went through the layers and the eras they went through different levels of emotional authenticity that we get from TV yeah. And so when you look at that Dick Van Dyke parody or the Bewitched, it was that sort of like the stages of grief. It was Wanda in full denial of the reality of the world, just like those TV shows were. It was everything is fun. Everything is easily fixed. There's a laugh track. And then we got deeper and deeper until there was no television. It was just her life that she had to face for the first time looking at her own reality. So I guess like yeah. the last one was really reality TV. <laughs> the, yeah, you know what? That's a good point. And I, I love that. Now I want to go and watch the series again with the new eye of I know what's what's going on. Because mm-hmm. I think I think that's so brilliant about or, or so so perceptive of these are these different episodes do relate to the different layers of grief, right? Or the different yeah. stages of grief, which is never a straight line. It tends to be more of a spiral that you hit the same things over and over again. I mean, I sometimes yeah. still hit the anger stage of people I lost 20 years ago. (laughs) And, you know, we have to talk about the line of the year, maybe from this show, which was what is grief, if not love persevering. And just how it was so beautifully related to this love story between her and vision and how this was her grief and her love personified. It was so beautiful and it was so sad and moving. And I know a lot of people were what not of nerds like me, like watching the show, like, okay, when is Mephisto going to show up? When is Dr. Strange going to show up? And when is like, is Agatha the, the only villain? It's like, no, the villain quote unquote is grief. The story, this is a story about handling your grief and saying goodbye. Yes. And it was so yeah, lo- beautifully done. It's really, really beautifully done. And so um, just so I, I think, well, actually when you said the, 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 um, the line of the series, my first thought was, oh, you mean when she said, they're your meat puppets, I just I just cut the strings. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one too. <laughs> Which is going to be the title of my memoir, I've decided, so. Oh, Agatha, I loved her. But yeah, oh it was beautiful God. about grief. So let's talk about 
Do you have a favorite moment or a favorite episode of the whole well, thing? Well, obviously, Jess, the Agatha all along song. All that, along. that whole montage, I watched that 14 times. I told my husband, if we were getting married right now, I would walk down the aisle to that <laughs> song. Meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out how to make it my ringtone. So if anybody knows, please let me know because I desperately need that, that ringtone. It's me. <laughs> Sparky too. <laughs> I loved this, and I did an article about this on the Mary Sue. Um, shout out to myself if anyone wants to go read this. I'm a music major, um, and so the really smart thing they did that somebody made a video of is they used that the Wanda Vision little motif. They use that in all the different theme songs, and that uses a tritone, which is the devil's interval. It's mm. this very dissonant, very creepy sounding interval. Like if you used it in the Renaissance or Middle Ages, that would get you burned as a witch, you know, something like that. It was that equivalent of like, and it's this, you, God, you they know were so it. easily triggered back then. <laughs> You've heard it like in like the Simpsons or like the Maria. So yes. that's the tritone and they use that. And then it comes in again in the Agatha song. And so musically, it's really brilliant. The, that song was composed and all the songs were composed by Christian uh, Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez, who did Let It Go and Avenue Q. So yes. they really know what they're doing. Yes. They know how to write an earworm. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And Catherine Hahn um, may be a witch because she's just truly magical. I loved her. She was such a great, yeah. great character. How were you familiar with Catherine Hahn at all before the show? You know, I was, and I really fell in love with her in a deep and powerful way when I heard her on NPR when they were doing, she just released a show. I don't think it got a lot of traction. It was on HBO. It was like Mrs. Do you remember the name of the show? It was out about three years ago. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. And now I can't remember yeah it's about this woman who when she discovers her son's porn stash starts getting excited by it and so she starts having these very um she starts exploring that part of herself and she's a single mom um she was also in uh bad moms and um she just did a wonderful portrayal of dessa in i know this much is true the miniseries based on the novel um she's such an interesting actress and one of the things i really loved about her is that she talks about when she was 28 which is a prime time in an actor's life to be trying to pursue ingenue roles she decided to go back to school and you know study acting get her master's at yale and um, people said to her oh you can't leave you're going to miss your ingenue years and she just looked right at him and said i'm not an ingenue And she just went back to school and she talks about how she would get her coffee and her scone every morning and go watch 
her classmates really explore these roles that they would probably never get in the, you know, in the field because that they weren't that they weren't the right type, but they could explore these characters. And just listening to someone know their product as an actor, you do need, you do need to know your product, know your product so well and make this decision to go deeper in what she does and the kind of love she has for her craft and that she was relishing watching her classmates get better at it. I just, I just appreciate her so much. And there's so many actors that if they fell in the kind of odd category that someone like Katherine Hahn is because no, she's not an ingenue. She doesn't play the rom-com character, no. but she's also not quite characterish enough yeah. to say like, she's not a Melissa McCartney or a Queen Latifah who has a very like over the top, very, um, you know, very like specific kind of character thing. She just is like, I am going to play the average woman and there aren't a lot of roles for average women. There's there's roles for very strange yeah. women and roles for very quote unquote hot women. But like to and she just and when she I I I know this much is true was a much better book than a series. <laughs> I know um and they they miss a, but that's also a story of a journey of a lot of grief and healing. And they really focused in that miniseries on the pain of the book and not as much on the hope, which I one of the reasons I didn't like the miniseries that much, although Mark Ruffalo was wonderful and Catherine Hahn is wonderful. So if you simply want to watch it to watch these actors do their, some of their best work, go for it. But it is very sad. <laughs> I knew her best yeah. from Parks and Recreation. And I did look up the show you're talking about. It's called Mrs. Fletcher. Thank you. I knew it was a Mrs. Yeah. something, but I almost said Mrs. Dalloway. And I'm like, that is totally not it, but it's no. feeling that, you know, <laughs> but yeah, she's just so brilliant. I mean, they have a really fantastic cast in WandaVision. I have loved Paul Bettany since A Knight's Tale, yeah. as I think many a 2000 era theater kid did. And I've loved seeing him in this show embrace that he got to be do more comedy because he was so funny in Knight's Tale. He's so funny in this great little rom-com called Wimbledon with Kristen Dunst. And he didn't do much comedy much after that. And it was so great to see him do so many versatile things on this show. I loved mm. him. And I loved Elizabeth Olsen. She was just amazing. I was really impressed with her. And people talked as though we we were already supposed to know who she was. Of course, I know who Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen are. Of course, I grew up on freaking, you know, Full House. But um, it, it was really lovely to see this young actress. And she brought so much texture to the role. Like there were so many layers to that performance. Really, really wonderful work. She did so great. Just like, yeah, the layers. She was amazing sort of spoofing and embodying like Mary Tyler Moore or Elizabeth yes. Montgomery or in all those different layers. She was just spot on, but also keeping it Wanda and keeping that undercurrent of grief and longing in there. She just, I think she should get an Emmy for this. Who knows if this show is going to get Emmy buzz because it's, you know, witches flying through the air and Disney plus and Marvel, but who knows? I'd like it yeah. too. I, I love I love seeing the crossover. They're like, yeah, why can't these people have television shows and they don't have to be, you know, Saturday morning cartoons if that thing even exists mm -hmm. anymore, right? If, I yeah. don't know. My kid, all, all her cartoons are on like Netflix or on, she watches old cartoons on YouTube. Yeah. And so we don't even know what's, you know, airing live now because 
our satellite's been broken for like two months and we haven't watched oh. live TV. It's fine because we watch everything on streaming. You know, it's, it's so funny. My nephew, who's seven, asked my sister, what's a commercial? Yeah, because had- he watches everything on streaming. Probably a mark of privilege there because it's like, you know, we're, you know, that cable still out there is still our commercials, but there are a lot of kids growing up. I mean, we, I mean, I grew up where the commercials were every much as part of my development as the freaking shows. Like a friend of mine, he actually put together, he like went through his parents' basement, pulled out all the v- VHSs back when we used to tape everything for hours oh, and create tapes. And he like managed to pull all the commercials off from the stuff he taped in like the late eighties and early nineties oh, and put together a whole reel and played it at a bar in Portland and people lost their mind. Of course, in a bar in Portland, they're going to want to watch commercials from the eighties. This is, it sounds exactly Portland. Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You know, a side note here. I don't know if you watch Portlandia, but we are both from Portland listeners. Yeah. I had to explain to so many friends like, no, no, Portlandia isn't like funny to Portlanders because it's like over the top. It's funny because it's only a little bit, turned up from how Portland just, already is. Yeah. It's just like, kind of like, just it's just like you, added a, you added a kick and I've told people I can't watch that show. And they say, well, why? I'm like, well, it's too, it's, it's too close to too, home. It's, it's too, it's blown out of proportion and it's true to life and I can't handle either one of them. Yeah. So the one yeah. Portlandia skit that always sticks with me, especially this time of year is the uh, winter in Portland skit where like there's one spot of sunshine and they start like having a neighborhood block party and everyone's yes. out in their sun dresses and lounge chairs and like the one patch of sunshine. <laughs> like, oh, that's how I feel right now. That one week of 60 degree weather at the beginning of February, we get every year and have since we moved here in 86. I mean, with climate change, I don't know what's going to happen with then, but it's like, oh yeah, there's the 60 degree spell. And my husband's not from Oregon. And so he, so I was like, oh, climate change, huh? I'm like, actually, this has been happening for a very long time. Yep. We get this fall spring at the beginning of February and um, yeah, everybody's out in their shorts and it's like 58 degrees, but I mean, it's sunny this afternoon where we are and it rained this morning. And I'm sure as, as soon as we're done, I'm running outside to go pull weeds out of my garden because right now the ground is soft enough where I can, because come August, it's going to be one big rock and nothing's coming out. Yeah. It's just, uh, if you don't like the weather in Oregon, just wait five minutes. Actually, that's what people say everywhere, especially in yeah. New England. If you don't like it, wait five minutes. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I love, I would never trade living in Portland for anything. But back to WandaVision, we got a little Portlandy attention there, which is fine. So did you have a favorite character? Was it Agatha or did you have a, was it? Oh, oh yeah. I was completely, I was completely on Agatha. And well, part of it, when I was growing up, I always really related to the nosy neighbor. I think I was a lot of people's Kimmy Gibbler. I was a very, (laughs) very, uh, you know, socially awkward child. And that manifested as being way over the top and super irritating. Um, and so I was like, but then, you know, that's the friend that will ride or die for you no matter what, like, yeah, you have that one friend, you have to have that friend in your life that is completely out of control. And yet, will help, will bury a body for you in the middle of the night. That's like, you know, and that's so I was like, okay, not only is Catherine Hahn one of my favorite actors, but also she's playing the characters that I always related to so much growing up. I would not say that I'm one of those nosy neighbors. Now I do leave people the fuck alone, but I don't know. Do, do we swear on your podcast? That's, that's fucking fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so that was, um, that was pretty, that was, that was really lovely. I, I liked the, 
Um, I mean, of course, Darcy is, I don't remember the name of the, the actress that plays Kat her, Dennings. but she is so yeah. delightful. Yeah. And um, the, Go ahead. What was yeah. the name of the woman who played, oh God, what was her name? She, you know, she helped deliver Wanda's babies. And then oh, Wanda so that's Monica Rambeau, who's Yes, I Tana loved Paris. Monica. She was in, um, I really loved her when she was in Mad Men. Yeah, and she's so it was great fun, in that. And she, she played in Mad Men. She played a, a very strong character, but also someone who was rather shy. And a couple of times she popped off and lost her temper. Of course, you know, she'd been pushed to that edge. And so it was, it was nice to see this, this actor bring in another character where she also brought in this very multi-layered um, character because this, because Monica was trying to stay, she was a little nervous because it was scary where she was. Um, and she was trying to stay calm and all of that. At the same time, she had a very serious job to do as well as her own grief journey to navigate through and her discovering she had a specific power was was pretty phenomenal. So that was really cool. That. I like that we kind of snuck in a superhero origin story for another hero who we will see. She's going to come back. Spoiler for you. Um, in Captain Marvel too. She's like, it's been oh, announced. That, so, cause her character is the, have you seen Captain Marvel? No. Okay. It's a good one. My husband in here, he should fill me in on all this information. He's in the other room putting the groceries away, Yeah, but I should have him come. It'll, it'll make that scene at the, the, the end credit scene with Monica and the alien who changes faces. That'll make a lot more sense <laughs> watching Captain yeah. Marvel. Cause she's in Captain Marvel as a kid and her, her mom is Captain Marvel's bestie. Awesome. And so that's where that's going. So, but Agatha loved her. What do you feel about these shows especially in American media, I feel like there's a real tendency to, if anything is witchy, it has to do with the Salem witch trials. <laughs> there's been a way, and it's like, there's only one really big, you know, famous witchy incident in our history. And somehow uh, about 70% of our witchy media is somehow like, oh, this person had, was a witch back then, or has an ancestor from the Salem witch trials. And it just seems for me, I'm really torn on it because yeah, it's cool and it's an easy reference point, but I've never actually seen, aside from like the Crucible, which wasn't really about the women, it was about John Proctor. You've never actually seen a depiction of the Salem witch trials about what they really were about, which was about, you know, religious intolerance and misogyny and yes. land disputes. So I kind of, I like it, but it's always hard for me to see like, why can't we actually tell that real story? You know, I don't know. There's such a it, there's such a morbid fascination around that particular story in history, and such a question about what really happened, how much power did they really have, and a lot of people have adopted it as kind of their own origin story in a way. It's like, oh, we were persecuted. Well, the truth is, is that nobody was really persecuted for their religious beliefs in um, in um, the, in the Salem witch trials, yeah. it was all, you know, it was, it was a hysteria likely rooted in the abuse of a couple of young women who just, you know, couldn't take it anymore and started to have maybe hallucinations or they started to, you know, maybe construct their own realities in a Wanda-esque way and under the belief that they had been attacked by witches in the night, because that would be easier than believing that, you know, dad was hurting them. But, um, you know, I think it's just, it's a sensational 
thing. I mean, I've been writing about witches for a very long time, way before it got popular. And that was one of the things that my writing instructors would always say is, well, you picked a very sensational topic. I mean, you picked a very sensational topic. Well, this is quite sensational. This is quite, you know, in- interesting. And um, they, it's been, so it, and I think that's, it's, a, it's an easy one to cling to. It's an easy one to write myths about, right? Because there's not enough meaty history attached to it where somebody is not going to be like, you know, because there's witches, there's room to, to put a story on there. It's like, if we're writing about the American revolution, there's not a lot of room to like say, oh, well, George Washington and magical powers were like, no, that's, <laughs> well, I think that's that was the plot of Sleepy Hollow. That there was yeah, well, magic. That's <laughs> there was well, that's true. Sleepy Hollow is the other one. That's yeah. but that's like, you know, that one's more formally entrenched in lore as, a, yeah. as an actual legend that has a spirit attached to it. Yeah. Whereas Salem, it didn't quite have a spirit attached. But then it's like, but what if? What if there were? You know, what if these if these women really did have these powers? What if they actually were practicing witchcraft? And it's just, I think it's just there's a lot of room to insert a mythological story in there, and it happened long enough ago, like, oh, it was 400 years ago. So it has that, that sense of antiquity to it. I mean, that's, that's my feeling just as, as a writer and, you know, consumer of media. It's just but, such an easy, you know, reference point for people that, okay, like, okay, Agatha, she has origin in Salem witch trials. And I did yes. like with that scene with Agatha, that flashback we got of her, that you see her being led to this stake and you're like, okay, we're going to get a witch burning. And then the twist was it wasn't like angry peasants coming for her it was her coven and that yeah. was interesting to me and this idea that she was that there are maybe good witches out there but Agatha's not one of them right exactly and the idea in this in the Marvel universe that magic is very much a thing in the Marvel universe and there is magic that is studied and learned but that's not what Wanda has she's got the chaos magic that's just pure will and creation and that's interesting con- contrast and mm-hmm. you see that contrast in sort of the there are many formalized magical traditions and there are many intuitive magical traditions yeah absolutely and I think Wanda would much be you know if she was looking through a metaphysical store she would probably pass over the ceremonial magic and go towards more the I guess there would be green magic for not for her but you know if there was red magic <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Red magic, Scarlet Witch, whatever red magic would mean, but it's like, um, but I think, I mean, I, I come back to what, what I feel like the story is all about. And magic, I think is just a, is a convenient vehicle for stories like WandaVision to portray something as complicated and internal, like you were talking about this internal journey. And I have seen, I mean, I also listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and there's yeah two two things that i'm you know of course i do i'm, I'm in a, I'm a white lady in america i have, I listen to true prime crime contests all the time but this um i've heard sometimes like victims of people who have been murdered um they tend to come up with some pretty outlandish ideas of what might have happened to their loved ones and they can spend their whole lives trying to prove it like the cia executed them or they were part of a they're still alive but they're part of a a trafficking circle and we have to find them and the truth is is that if you i mean even as a witch i'm also really much a believer in, in the occam's razor theory that the most likely story is probably the correct one right? Where it's like, no, it probably was a tragic accident and it's simply the remains are missing and it's not, 
and it's not a conspiracy out there to, to, you know, and so, but you do watch people who are, um, who are grieving and it's who they can come up with some pretty wild stories, Yeah, you know, as to so what much, happened or where they are. It's so much easier to blame QAnon or satanic or witches for yes. bad things. And it's so much easier when we're feeling grief to blame God or blame the world rather than, you know, what really happened. And I kind of like this aspect of WandaVision where Wanda is pretty much the most powerful person in the Marvel universe and she still can't change death or grief or loss. And that kind of comes into play a lot of the times with our magic and our faith, whether it's pagan or otherwise, no matter what your faith or your magical practice, there's going to be things you cannot control and you cannot control grief and the shit that the world's going to throw at you. Yes. And so, I mean, that's a hard lesson to learn and you can go into your own reality and try and create a world where none of that didn't happen, but eventually the real world's going to come for you sometimes in this case with tanks, but yeah, luckily with our, hopefully less tanks when we're dealing with our own <laughs> trauma. Right. <laughs> that grief doesn't grief doesn't come t- coupled with tanks mowing down the the town but then again or, she you know I, I think that the couple of problems that I had with the show is that um I I don't feel like the show really articulated whether whether Wanda was the engineer of this or if this was an accident because it seemed like leading up to this we're being led to believe that she engineered all of this. She took the town captive and she comes out and just kind of says that, like, look, you're not going to take this from me when she says that to the people of sword. And then when at, at the end, when Agatha's like, you know, give me the power of this place. And she said, listen, um, yours was on purpose or something like that. And I, I, maybe I'm missing something about what that was about, but I felt like that was, if she said, I didn't mean to create this universe, but it was pretty much, it was pretty much spelled out that she had. It was sort of, I got the impression that like that moment of grief that you see in episode eight, where she just sort of creates it all. And she's standing in the foundations of this house that vision bought for them. It was like a moment of just pure rage and sadness. And she created it in a moment of like pure emotion that was not really thinking. And I think, you know, you see in the first few episodes that they aren't even really aware how they got there or what their anniversary is. And it was very much like she was in such deep denial that she wanted to believe that all this was, it was fine. It's all fine. And it was, it was not the whole show was her realizing it's not fine, Wanda. It's, you have to face these things. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people online have been kind of upset that she didn't face any sort of reckoning or consequences or moral judgment for like, hey, you really kind of tortured these people. Then again, it would be really hard for So for anyone in the show to like tell this character what to do or try and put her in prison, she sort of put herself off in prison in her little cabin by the woods. Yeah. But did you think that she should have gotten more of a punishment? um, I don't think it would have made sense for her journey at this point. I think if we had more episodes, maybe. But one, recognizing, recognizing the loss and also recognizing the collateral damage that one a person causes. I mean, I mean, a grieving person can be very, can do a lot of damage. They really yeah. can. And that's True. not to say that grieving people are bad, 
but it is true that it's, it's, there's a reason why people leave their, their last rights or their last, so that, that, you know, you don't have a parent or a spouse come in who then, you know, doesn't comply with the wishes and blocks a lot of people out or refuses to give somebody the inheritance that they're owed out of spite and anger, because really they're not angry at the people around the deceased. They're angry about the loss. And so a, a grieving person may act in ways that are not as, um, you know, as kind. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've remember, you know, I had a really terrible falling out with a friend many, many years ago because she, you know, she did some things that weren't cool. Um, but I was too close to her to step back and recognize because she was in a place of a lot of grief. She was going to reach for comfort wherever she could find it. And which involved my very recent ex-boyfriend. And I was really mad about that, but I was like, looking back later, it was like, God, she was suffering and she needed, mm -hmm. she needed comfort. It wasn't that she was a bad person, but she's going to get comfort wherever she can get it. And it happened to be in him, you know? Um, and so it, it led me to a place of like, to forgive her, but it also made sure that I'm, you know, I, I try not to take the actions of a grieving person personally. Um, and, you know, I want to be supportive of them, but also leave myself an exit in case they start to act in a way that is hurtful to me. It's like, we're going to take some time out and I'll be back, you know, cause you got to go through your process, but that process can, that process can be really hard for others to be around. And I don't think that Wanda was at a place where she could recognize what she had done. And so it wouldn't have been authentic. It would have been kind of cheesy. She's like, you're right. I did badly. And they also, she was too powerful for them to, yeah. to capture her. So yeah. I think her going off into the woods to reflect on things, kind of doing the Walter White thing, you know, of going off into the woods and reflecting on the, the damage that she created, you know, is, is, I think we're going to see, we're going to see more of her, um, you know, writing her wrongs later on. Yeah. I'm really curious to see where she goes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because she is um, going to be in the next Doctor Strange movie. And Doctor Strange is mm. like the Sorcerer Supreme. And I'll be interesting to see if she is the antagonist or somehow related to some antagonistic force there or if she's an ally or if she's somewhere in between. But it'll be interesting to see how she continues to evolve in this huge cinematic world. Yeah. And I'm glad they have so much room to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it's exciting. And I feel that they've left it when they left it with her, it's like her at the lake. And then it's also her avatar. So I'm like, is that her spirit? Is that really Scarlet? Which there's a lot of questions that are left. Yeah. No one's say unanswered, but left open the clue that there's more from us, the oh, Star yeah. Scarlet Witch, and there's more for her journey. She's certainly not done grieving. Yeah. I, right. you know, we haven't talked about her kids, which I thought was a really interesting Mm -hmm. um, story point. And I think one of the saddest parts of the finale was her, you know, saying goodbye to her kids and like, as a myth nerd and as a witch nerd, I'm like, Oh, it's very like sort of Medea ish. Cause she's a very famous witch who had to, but she chose to kill her children. Wanda wasn't really like killing her children. She was letting these creations return back to her because they were part of her but I like that yeah. moment you saw in the finale where you know she hears her children calling out to her it's like is that going to be her motivation is tearing apart the universe to find her children right and her children are characters in the greater Marvel comics universe so that's going to be cool I hope I'm sure they'll eventually be added to the the roster oh absolutely absolutely and I just the way she said goodbye to them it was like felt a little bit like that scene in Titanic where oh, the mom yeah. was putting the babies to bed before the ship sinks and oh, she's God. reading the story. 
Yes. Like, let's just let them, let's let, let them, you know, disappear into the digital void while they're asleep and don't notice what's going on. So oh, yeah, that, that scene, like, I can't even like think about that scene Titanic without like tearing it's up. It's pretty upsetting. I, it's like, I've oh got, no. Yeah. yeah. I've got a little yeah. five-year-old. And so I'm just like, uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But let's talk about something more fun. Um, Wanda is of course famously the Scarlet Witch and some of the best witches as you and I know, have red hair. So let's talk about right. the magic of having red hair. Cause we have, I don't know. My mom asked me that after my wedding shower, she goes, why do all the Wiccans have red hair? I'm like, I actually never noticed that. Well, you know, I think um, in different cultures, somebody having red hair was sometimes considered an omen or, you know, a, a bad sign or that she was something like a legit, somebody yeah. who's was red hair is, is, you know, is different because it's, it's a recessive gene. Most people don't have it. And so to, you know, to have that, there's a sense of, of that they're different, therefore they must have powers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, um, I think that you've got the blonde, you've automatically got the ingenue. Okay. You know, I know I'm speaking in generalities because we all saw Game of Thrones and we know some blondes are totally evil, but I'm thinking about just like the archetypes that we're familiar with through, you know, media up until this point, the blondes, the ingenue, the one with the raven hair is probably the bad guy. And so then who's the redhead? We don't really know. So the redhead couldn't be anyone, you know? It's such a great, you know, it's been used since literally the invention of like colored, film as a signifier of like magic and otherness like you look at glinda had red hair and endora had red hair and then you've got like winifred sanderson has red hair and rowena and now we have like the scarlet witch and it's interesting like as she's like when she was introduced in the mcu she had brown hair it was very kind of or arbor and her hair color has very much changed i wouldn't even call her hair in this show i mean it's strawberry blonde yeah but it's not like you know, I, I'm a redhead by choice and it's not like the, the bright, bright red that a lot of us <laughs> Wiccan redheads sport thanks to the purple red. Yeah. No, yeah. mine is, I'm somewhere in between my, my mom and my sister are natural redheads and I have some in my hair and then I use henna and was like, Oh my God, it looks so natural. And you're like, yeah, well I have the skin color of the redhead. And yeah. so, um, I just kind of boom fit up a bit. My sister has no problem telling you which of us as, um, is not the natural redhead. So yeah, I, I, I sunburn like a redhead. So I feel I do too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's interesting. Cause like you, there's so many, especially like in Celtic mythology, you hear with like you and you are an expert on the Morgan and Brigitte Bridget more than I am, but they're often portrayed with red hair or they're associated with the color red, especially the Morgan. And I just have like theories about how that is historic association with red women and red hair has also translated down through depictions of magical women. Well, with Bridget, there's, there's really not been, not been a lot of talk about what color her hair was. I think a lot of people assume that she's a redhead because of her connection with, with Ireland and with Scotland. Um, I mean, the only tales that I ever saw of Bridget with a specific hair color came more out of Scotland and England in which she had white hair um, and it's because, or, or golden hair and it's be, it was meant to be um, synonymous with the first days of springtime, the sun returning. Whereas um, the Morgan was said to, at, at least in one myth, I think, I'm, and I'm, um, I think, I don't think that 
I'm going to, yeah, it was just this, this one specific myth where she was said to have red hair and red eyebrows and a red gown and a red horse and a red, but that in that time period, red in, you know, in Irish symbolism meant death. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, you know, potentially because of thinking of bloodshed on the battlefield or other connotations from the iron age that we just don't have any real basis for now. And so when she shows up with her red hair, she's actually warning um, a hero that he's, he's screwed up and, you know, he's going to get his ass kicked on the battlefield. Yeah. Um, So as coming forward as, you know, as a herald, the red hair serves as a warning not specifically of magic, although she she does enact some some um, SMX of magic in that specific story. She turns into a raven. She prophesizes. But I, I mean, my interpretation, and this is just coming, is that the red in that case isn't meant to be a warning for this guy. Yeah. Um, we we lost so much of of the context and the meaning behind what the Iron Age folks would have thought of of a woman with red hair and a red chariot on a red horse. We, we just don't know. Um, but is that I the think horse with one leg too? With one leg. That is the weirdest leg. image. <laughs> yes. And the shaft of the, of the chariot went through its body out the front of its head. So there's a lot of, of things that we don't know, have any clue what that meant. We can just, you know, make our best guesses. Um, but I don't even try to go there when it comes to what that horse was all about. Yeah. It's just more like, okay, there's a lot of red going on there. And so there was probably something to do with a death omen because she does come and warn this guy of getting his ass kicked and she's in red and red was a, a de- color of death. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that's my best guess where so far as that goes. But in a lot of other tales of the Morgan, her hair is not specified. Um, in one tale, it's, it's, said that she has nine tresses, which a lot of people translate as braids, um, which it could have been, it also could have been nine ponytails. I mean, there's no way of knowing what that, what that hairstyle would have represented. So, you know, there's, there's, there's that part of it, but, um, um, yeah, I, I think and a lot of people, um, envision these gods and, and deities with, um, with red hair, I think it's because of their the Celtic connection and the assumption of the, there being red hair. But you know, when I've been in Ireland, I we didn't meet a lot of redheads. My mom, when she went to Ireland, was disappointed. She thought she'd be surrounded by her kind, and no, not really. It's, it's oh. not, that wasn't the case. Yeah, it's not not accurate. Going back to that story about like the horse with the one leg and the uh, what's it called? The, through the horse, like yeah, that, so be- that whole poem because that's like Cuculain, right? As with Kukulan, yeah. yep, it's um, it's a Tanbo Bragavna, yeah. which means the cattle raid or the battle of the important calf. The to connect this back to like Marvel, like the descriptions of like Kukulain in that he's basically the Hulk. <laughs> like, kind of. He goes into this like what battle the warp, the battle warp thing, where he like basically hulks out and like it's so the descriptions are insane to read mm-hmm. they're just yeah, he, like, like turns his legs backwards and he like unhinges his jaw or something like his, yeah. yeah he he has um warp spasm what they call like it. A, yeah yeah he has a very kind of superhero origin story himself yeah. because he's half mortal half divine and he shows he's not affected by the curse of ulster which, you know, Maka, who is considered in many traditions to be one of the Morgan sisters, she laid a curse on all of the province of Ulster because they were cruel to her. And so the men have labor pains whenever they go to war. And so all of a sudden Ulster has to go to war and all the men are in bed, you know, writhing because they feel like they're giving birth. And 
Kokolin is exempt from this curse because he's partially divine. So it's up to him to completely defend his province against this entire invading army, which is, yep. you know, it's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous that idea. Yeah. And it's not, it's counter to human experience is that one person doesn't succeed without, you know, unless they're part of a team. You know, and so this this sense of like, no, humans are pack animals, but we want to believe that we are, you know, individuals and exceptional, right? But no, we're much more like wolves or I guess more like, you know, baboons that live in, you know, in communities as opposed to just like, I am the lone cougar and I can do all this on my own without a pack. And like, no, humans don't work that way. Yeah, I'm I'm advocating, I think it'd be fun for them to instead of making another King Arthur movie or another Gladiator movie, like you could look. Kukulain would be a pretty interesting, there's so much to that story. It'd be a pretty interesting TV show or movie if you wanted to look at It'd different It'd be curious to, to look into that. Yeah. I mean, he's he's certainly got a lot of misogyny going on. Oh, there's, yeah. There's, there's he a he lot wouldn't of, necessarily of, be the hero because... Yeah, I mean, he's he, he would be the star, but, but you know, this, sometimes a lot of um, contemporary Irish, um, especially women, are like, you know what? He's not really a hero. He's kind of a douchebag, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> But there's but a lot of drama in that story. Yeah, well, and there's this, certainly a lot of the, the elements of it are not, uh, you know, are, are not that different from some of the things we experience today. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's our pitch, Marvel, for your next next hero. Uh, but do you have any final thoughts about WandaVision? Or are you excited to, you know, are you going to look for more Marvel products? Are you going to watch the Loki show? Or? Loki show is interesting. Um, you know, my the Justice League comes out on my husband's birthday, but I think that's DC, isn't that's it? That's DC, different. Okay, different, so I'm going to be switching universes for my next thing. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, I'm switching universes for the next thing. Um, so we're going to be watching uh, that on his birthday. So that'll be fun. Um, oh, that's four I, nights, just so you know. It's not going it's, to, when it's over after an hour, there's three more nights. <laughs> Oh, I'm not sure he knows that. I'll okay. need to notify him so he's not disappointed. They're, they're milking <laughs> it for all it is worth. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, all right. I'll have Snyder to, cut thing. I'll, I'll have to make sure that he's aware of that so we don't <laughs> end up with a, a disappointed birthday boy. <laughs> like, but That um, was short. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that's what I heard. But um, I think um, I'm I'm really, I, I hope they do more with, with the Scarlet Witch you know, before too much time goes on, because I think there's, I think that this, this story is, is very fertile and very ripe right now. And I'd like to see where it goes. Yeah. I think the Dr. Strange two is set to come out like November of next year. Okay. Or sometime it's like, it's not too far off. They're, they're literally filming it right now. So there's a lot right. of like, there's so much Marvel coming. Cause it got like so all, much happening. It all got bottlenecked. For, they need like a similarly just for Marvel. So we can just like have everything caught up and know what's going yeah. on. They have, um, for Disney did this very smart thing. They like created a whole quote unquote show called Marvel Legends on Disney Plus. It's basically like seven minute recaps of every character. Oh, that and makes so sense. they did one for Wanda and they did one for Vision and they have one out right now for the Winter Soldier and Falcon who have a show premiering in a week or two. So very basically it's just like a previously on the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they did. So for those of you wanting to get caught up before Falcon the Winter Soldier that's there and i'm sure they'll do one for loki which is i don't need since i've watched every loki movie many many times because he's my favorite (laughs) nice yeah yeah i feel that 
I feel it. Yay. Yes. So for those looking to follow you or your work, where can we find you online and on the podcast world and in bookstores? So you're all of those yes, places. I have, I've, I have a few books. If you're interested in European deities um, or tarot, I have three books out. Um, one on the goddess Bridget, one on the Morgan, and I have a book out called Tarot for One, which is about learning to read tarot for yourself. And I have a new book coming out in August called Hakate, Goddess of the Witches. So, so excited um, for that one. Thank you. Yes, that one is available for pre-order now wherever you get your books. Please support the independent bookstores. And um, I'm most um, active on Twitter and Instagram, you know, so find me on the Cocoa Witch on either one of those. Um, sometimes I'm on Facebook, not as much. And, um, or my website is CourtneyAWeber.com. So you can stay in touch with the things I have going on. I have a three-part I have a three-part class on building witchcraft practice around deity that starts on March 16th. So that's all virtual. Um, and so definitely follow me on there so you can figure out where to sign up for that. And um, it's through Catland Books. And then, you know, my podcast, That Witch Life Podcast. And um, we've got a very, very, very big guest coming up tomorrow. I'm so excited some to lovely- find out who it is. Oh, you don't know yet? I don't, because yeah, I'm not on the right, like, Patreon level. I need to, like, up my Patreon level to start getting the early episodes. Oh, And so I'm really excited for tomorrow to see who it was. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I I can't recommend That Witch Life highly enough. It's been my favorite, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. (laughs) It's my favorite witchy podcast. Like, every, you know, every Monday I take my lunchtime walk with you guys and just, it's like, even, I love your guests, but I just love listening to you guys talk because <laughs> I haven't been around people for so long. <laughs> it's just, it's well, such you. a fun and, you know, open spirited and fun podcast. So everyone listening should definitely listen to it. Uh, well, I appreciate that, Jess. And we loved having you on. So you can also go back through our archives and find out when you talked to Jess in December, which was super fun. Yeah, I was, I was felt so, so very fancy. It was so much fun, but yeah, thank you so much for talking about WandaVision. As you continue your journey through the Marvel Cinematic Universe, please let me know what you think of it. I will. And, we'll come know, back. You, we'll talk some more. If you watch Captain Marvel and like, oh, those are those guys. <laughs> I'll get it figured out. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll get my, 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 I'll have my husband tutor me. He'll sit me down. He'll get me all caught up. And then when I come back, I'll be some kind of expert. I don't know. We'll have to have Maybe. some sort of Hecate related episode yeah. because she shows up so she shows she's one of the goddesses you see a lot of in you don't see her but you hear the the name hecate a lot they you it's one of the kind of go-to witchy goddesses in pop culture and we'll for see sure yeah or hectate as they called her in practical magic because they didn't want to say <laughs> the word hecate yeah i call her i call her both hecate and hecate i think that it's pretty interchangeable so all right well thank you so so much Thanks, Jess. Thank you very much, and good luck to you. Thank you. And there we have it. Thank you again to Courtney for coming on and talking about this fabulous show. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a review, a rating, a subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at RealMagicPod. If you like me and my work, you can follow me. I'm at FangirlingJess on Twitter, and you can also find my work on The Mary Sue. Always writing there. Always. Now, for our next episode, I'm not going to tell you what movie it is, but I will give you a clue. We're going to be talking about whether something is pink or blue pink or blue. 
Until next time, bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye,